Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. Somebody shout victory. Come on, shout victory in 23. Hallelujah. You may be seated today. In the English language, there are seven letters in the word victory, which reminds me of the significance of the number seven found in the word of God. Seven was symbolic in the Israelite culture and literature. It communicated a sense of fullness or completeness. Seven is spelled with the same consonants of the word in Hebrew meaning complete or full. This makes sense of the ubiquitous appearance of seven patterns throughout the word of God. In the very first chapter of Genesis, the opening line has seven words in Hebrew. Each of the key words in Genesis 1 and 1 are repeated by multiples of seven in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 all the way through Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. We see the word God used in uh, groups of seven and it's used five multiples of seven five different times making that word God used 35 times in those first few words in chapter of chapters of Genesis. Land is used 21 times. Sky is used 21 times as also. One theologian said to suppose that these, all these appearances of the number seven are mere coincidence is not possible. This numerical symmetry is, as it were, the golden thread that binds together all the parts of the section. I just want to stop for a moment and say nothing in your Bible is there by chance or happenstance or coincidence. Everything in your word, in the word of God, is on purpose. You can turn this down just a bit. And so throughout the scripture, we find the number seven connected to the fulfillment of promises and oaths. God promises not to destroy the earth again with a flood and memorializes this covenant with Noah with a rainbow across the sky, which is comprised of seven colors. Abraham swore an oath of ownership over a certain well of water in Genesis 21. And Abram satisfied that oath with a gift of seven lambs and named the site of the oath Beersheba, which is interchangeable with the well of the oath or the well of seven. God instructed, we heard last week, God instructed Joshua and his army to march around the city once for six days and on the seventh day to march seven times with seven priests blowing seven trumpets. In Revelation, we see the seven churches of Asia, each church receiving a letter of instruction, correction, admonition. The fulfillment of this divine promise in Revelation is ushered in by groups of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets sounded by seven angels and seven bowls of God's promised wrath carried by seven angels. So I feel confident today to introduce a manual for everyday victory. And I wanna preach today from this thought, everyday victory. Could you say that with me today? Everyday victory. Look at your neighbor and tell them God wants you to have victory every day. Now, since victory has seven letters, I'm going to give you seven principles uh, in my manual today. Now, this is an ever-expanding manual of, of everyday victory. So who knows by the end of the year how many 
uh, entries there will be, but for today's message, there are seven. The first one is pray. Everybody shout pray. pray. If you want to be victorious every day, you must pray. Oh, y'all thought I was going to give you some earth-shattering, revelatory, intellectual discovery today, but I'm just going to give you what you need to hear. If you want to have victory every day, you've got to pray every day. Luke chapter 21, verse 36, Jesus said, Watch ye therefore and pray always. That, that, that uh, portion of scripture, pray always, uh, is meaning prayerfulness that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I want to tell you today that prayer is an act, but prayerfulness is an attitude. Jesus said, pray always. In other words, every single day there should be prayerful attitude that you exhibit in every area of life, in every place you go, from the moment you rise from your bed to the moment you lower your body back into that bed, you should have an attitude of prayerfulness. This is nothing new. The bishop preached this and taught this in the Six Steps to Prayer booklet of many, many years ago. There must be an attitude of prayerfulness. You know what an attitude of prayerfulness does? It helps enlighten you to help you understand that you need Jesus every single moment. <laughs> prayerfulness is a way of being marked by ceaseless prayer, as Paul says in Thessalonians 5 and 17. I want to give you today three aspects of this way of prayerfulness. Number one, prayer places us before God. When we call out to God, we are placing ourselves before God. Number two, prayer reminds us that God is present and that he is focused on us. When we pray, it helps us to remember that there may not be a friend near, there may not be a family member near, there may not be anyone around you, but when you lift your voice in supplication, you will know that God is listening, God is present, and God takes notice of your supplication. Hey, let me tell you something. Cornelius, the Gentile centurion, he prayed before he ever received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and God took notice of his prayer. Don't ever forget every time you pray, it's not meaningless, it's not habitual, it's not monotonous. It is an act of, of your communicating with God and God communing with you. Number three, prayer changes our disposition. When you bow your head or you lower your knees to the carpet, you are changing your physical disposition. You are saying, I recognize that I don't have it all figured out. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not intellectual enough. I'm not Pentecostal enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I need God. I need God. Does anybody feel that way today? Anybody in this house feel their need for God? I love what Paul says. We read it last week but we're going to read it again today. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, Paul says, praying always. 
with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I wanna tell you today, if you want everyday victory in your life, you must pray. You must pray. Somebody shout pray. Pray when the storms are are howling around you. Pray when the sun is shining. Pray when it's up. Pray when it's down. Pray on the mountaintop. Pray in the valley. Just pray. 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 Number two in my manual for everyday victory is read the word. Read the word. Look at your neighbor and say, read the word. word. Don't read the comics. Don't read the newspaper. Don't read the the tweet. Don't read the post. Read the word. This is what I mean by the word. Read the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you don't have the word in your heart, it's not gonna, you're not going to be able to resist sin. You're not going to be able to know and identify what sin is. It takes the word of God. It takes conscientious studying of the word of God to know what sin is. And that is the only way we can avoid sin is if we know what it is. The word of God makes it clear to us. Ephesians 6, 17, I've already read it, but I read it again. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You understand today that reading the Word of God teaches, it corrects, it instructs, and it equips us. Paul spoke to his young son in the Gospel, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3. He said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, or I like the way the net puts it, the person dedicated to God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The only way you can be thoroughly furnished fully equipped. The only way you can be made whole or be perfect is through the Word of God. Reading God's Word reorients our thinking so that we can grow in maturity, which is part of our Christian calling. When you read the Bible, it helps to redirect you. Oh, help us today. There is so much in our world, so much noise, so much chatter, so many distractions. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the distractions of our age, we'll allow the chatter of our world, we'll allow the noise of our environment to distract us and get us off the path that God intends for us to walk. But when you open up the Bible and you begin to read the Bible, let me tell you what happens. It reorients you. You're going this direction, but you realize I need to be going this direction. The Word of God helps to establish your going. I love, I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. It's not the will of God for you to be tossed about to and fro 
It's not God's plan for the winds of doctrine to blow and to cause you to get off track, off focus, start believing things that are not found in the word of God. It is the will of God for you to be oriented. It is the will of God for you to be anchored. It is the will of God for you to be established in the word of God. Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be molded to this world. Don't be pressed into the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Number one, pray. Number two, read the word. Number three, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Look at your neighbor and tell him, walk in the spirit. In order to walk in the spirit, one must be in Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in. In. Everybody say in. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you don't want the condemnation, you've got to be in Christ, walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the spirit the ESV puts it like this if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit to walk or walking in the New Testament is an idiom that means uh, how one conducts him or herself and so Paul is saying your actions where you're going, what you're doing, your deeds, they're all, they're, all, uh, they're all a tale of where you're walking and how you're walking and if you're in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. And so today, I beseech this congregation here on this beautiful Sunday morning that we must walk in the Spirit Let me tell you something, when you walk in the Spirit, you're walking contrary to your flesh. What your flesh wants to do is almost always, I've heard it said so many times by my father, almost always what your flesh wants to do is directly opposite of what the Spirit wants you to do. Your flesh will tell you you need to get even with them. You need to chew them out. You need to give them a piece of your mind. But the Spirit tells you to be meek and to be loving and to be forgiving. Oh, help us today. Help us to walk in the Spirit. It's a challenge It's a challenge, but if you want everyday victory, you've got to walk in the Spirit. I said, if you want everyday victory, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Number four, think on the right things and reject ungodly thoughts. Think on the right things and reject ungodly thoughts. Paul says in Philippians 4, finally brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or honorable, whatsoever things are just or righteous, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report or commendable, if there be any virtue, if there be any excellence, 
And if there be any praise, or if it is worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Now, I realize today what I'm preaching is running contrary to our world. We're like, we're like salmon in a river that's flowing downstream and we're trying to go upstream. What we're thinking, what we're doing as Christians is so different than our world today. Our world is inundating us with all types of media, all types of messages telling us how we should think and what we should think about and how we should, how we should spend our time. And, and you think about all that we encounter in our world. And I'm here to tell you that, that God is speaking to us today and telling us if we want everyday victory, we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the things we think about. Let me tell you something, you can't ingest a whole week of Hollywood movies and come to church and lift your hands and feel good. You can't listen to lyrics that degrade women, that talk about violence and drug use and all the other junk of this world. You can't pipe that in your ears all week and then think you're gonna have victory. Let me tell you something. This is how the enemy works. The enemy's not just preying on the adults in the room today. The enemy is coming after our children as, uh, also. I'll tell you how I know. Because uh, my, my, my in-laws, they bought my youngest daughter, Millie, a, an American girl doll. And... You know, we've they these our girls have had American Girl dolls all their lives. They had they were all uh, seemed to be great stories, uh, good morals in them, and 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 all of that. Uh, and so she gets this new doll, and the doll looks fine. There's nothing wrong with the doll, but of course we always throw all the jewelry away when they get the doll. But that's just the way it works. But she has this doll, but. It came with a book, and I don't even know the, the doll's name. It started with a K, but, but it, she, it came with a book, and, and we opened up the book, and the book is talking about the little girl having two ants, but it's not two separate ants. It's two women that live together. Don't think the enemy is trying to groom your little kids. They are. It matters what you read. You know what we need? We need apostolic men and women to rise up and say, I'm going to write books for the kids. Hey, where's your creative? Where's your creativity? Come on, we need people to say, I'm going to help. I'm going to help write things for these kids because the enemy knows where to start. They start when they're in school. That's the reason there is such a war going on in our school system in America. Thank God for Calvary Academy. Thank God for Holy Ghost filled teachers and principals that love our children and want to teach our children the truth of God's word. I don't have TikTok. Don't plan on getting it. But there is an account called Libs of TikTok. And this person is hated. She's been canceled. They've tried to shut her down because she goes undercover and she finds all of this stuff, uh, all of this transgenderism that's in our world and all of these ideas that are being pumped in the classroom and she exposes them for what they are. But that's the world. How much more in the church should we be so careful the things we listen to, the things we read, the things we allow to influence our lives? If you want to walk victoriously every day, you must think on the right things and you've got to reject the ungodly things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 
Verse number for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I love the way the ESV says it. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The net says we tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. That's, those verses are filled with a whole lot of action. The preacher doesn't do it. Your parents don't, don't do it. Your friend doesn't do it. You need to do it. You must destroy the arguments. You must tear down every lofty opinion, everything that would come against the knowledge of God and you must make every thought that runs through your brain, you must make it conform. You must hold it captive to the obedience of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you today, I've got a manual for everyday victory, and it's this. You've got to think the right things, and you've got to reject the wrong things. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I can shout today because I'm giving you a key how to live victoriously. If you're depressed, you've got to you've got to break down every thought of depression. You've got to push through every spirit that would come against you. If you feel suicidal, I'm telling you there's a Holy Ghost remedy for it. Help us to tear down every argument, every arrogant obstacle. Oh my God. Oh, help us today. Number five, I gotta hurry. Number five, fight your adversary or remove yourself from the situation. God gave us an instinct. It's innate. It's in every one of us. Evolutionists try to tell us it's, be, it's from hundreds of thousands of years ago. But it's not. God put it in you. It's called fight or flight. Some battles you just need to fight. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He also told Timothy, flee youthful lusts. So, Timothy, I want you to fight, and sometimes you need to take flight. There's some things you've got to fight your way through, and there's some places you've just got to run from. You've got to extricate yourself from the situation. Well, I know this isn't that exciting today, but it's still what's going to help you be every day victorious. It's called fight or flight. Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When I think about this fight or flight uh, situation, I think about Joseph in Genesis where he encounters Potiphar's wife and she presses him uh, to have relations with her. And I, I guess they, she'd gotten close enough to him that she grabbed a hold of his cloak and he took off running as fast as he could. He knew at that very moment he had to get out of the situation. He had to leave the situation. Yeah, there were some consequences. Yes, God brought him through the prison, but let me tell you, he still did the right thing when he left that situation. Brothers and sisters, if you're dealing with drug addiction, you can't go to the drug house and hang out. 
If you're dealing with, if you're dealing with alcohol and you just want that taste on your lips, don't go sit at the bar. <laughs> if you've got a problem with pornography, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to hold yourself accountable by getting someone to help you. Put, put, let me tell you, you know what? We want to play dumb because we don't really want to deal with issues. We act like we don't know how to use this phone, but I guarantee you, you do know how to use it. And if you don't, praise God for Google because you can Google it and figure out how to use it. Ignorance is not an excuse, brothers and sisters. Well, let me say it for the people in the balcony. Ignorance is not an excuse. It won't stand up in a court of law and it won't stand in front of the judgment seat. Remove yourself. Say no. Somebody shout no. no. You just have to say no. Sure your flesh wants it. Sure your, your flesh likes it. Sure it feels easy and good. But I want to tell you what we know from the word of God. The pleasures of sin will only last a season. And after that season you're going to be faced with dire consequences. So brothers and sisters, if you want everyday victory, you've got to fight your adversary. And sometimes you've got to remove yourself from the situation. Oh, help us today. Pastors pastoring today. Hallelujah. Number six. Number six. Be quick to repent and forgive. <laughs> oh, be quick to repent. Did you know you can have you can take a fall, you can mess up, but if you get up and repent, you finish the day off with victory. Hey, I wanna to speak to some new converts here today, new believers. Maybe you're, you're new to this thing and you're trying to live it and you're trying to do the right thing. And you see and you hear and God's speaking to your spirit and you're feeling convicted about activities or things or or things you wear or places you go. I want to tell you, just because you make a mistake, just because you fall down, maybe today you're dealing with old habits or addictions and you want victory and you're doing your best and, and you fall. I want to tell you what to do. Get back up. Get back up. You can finish the day with victory. I know that's simple, but I'm going to tell the devil once again. I want him to hear me say it. I may fall, but I'm going to get back up and finish my day with victory. <laughs> Quick to repent. Proverbs 28, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now that's a big scripture and it's harder done than said. But if you try to cover your sin, you won't prosper. But if you confess it to God and not everybody on the internet or everybody you think's your friend but really they just want to hear so they can tell somebody else, so they can tell somebody else. But if you confess your sin to God, and sometimes you need to do confess your sin to the man of God, but when you confess your sin and you forsake them, see, you got to confess it and you got to forsake it. You got to turn your back on it. That's what's implied in Acts 2, verse 38 repent. You got to do an about face on sin, you got to turn your back on it, you got to forsake it. Them shall have mercy. You want mercy? Everybody wants mercy, right? In the balcony. Balcony, you guys want mercy up there? Can you wave at me? Mezzanine, do you want mercy? Floor, do you want mercy today? If you want mercy, you got to forsake sin 
got to confess it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, For godly sorrow worketh repentance for, to salvation. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Not sorrow that you got caught. But godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. One of my favorites in the Old Testament is King David. I love him because I identify with him. He was, I guess, if you ever do the real colors test, you find out what personality type you are. Well, I guess my dominant is blue. I think David was blue. And, and he, was, he was a creative person. He, he, he created psalms and he sang and all of these things. But he also had problems. And sometimes he made wrong decisions and choices. And sometimes those choices compounded. Like the time that he committed fornication with Bathsheba. But when Nathan came to his chamber and stuck his finger in his face and said, you're the man, David. You know what David did? He didn't deny it. He didn't blame somebody else. But this is what he did. He said, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions my sin is ever before me against thee the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest behold I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me a Away, cast me not away from thy presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy law, thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I love what, uh, what King David says here. I love the idea of asking God to clean me out. Wash me. Make me whiter than snow. But whatever you do, God, I repent, but don't cast me from your presence. I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down shaken together running over shall men give unto your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again I know we use this forgiving and that's a perfectly great application of the scripture but really the, the, what Jesus is talking about is judgment he's talking about condemnation and he's talking about forgiveness He's talking about mercy. And the measure you give is the measure you will receive. I need a lot of mercy. I need a lot of mercy. So I want to be merciful. I said, I need a lot of mercy. And I want to be merciful. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Be ye kind one to another. I think this was my mother's favorite scripture to share with my sister and me. I think she shared it every day. <laughs> Be ye kind one to another. I can hear her saying it. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, Forbearing one another. You've heard me preach it, but I'm going to preach it again. I guess if dad can talk about pulling up the flesh by the nap of the neck, 
a million times, I can tell you this. Forbearing one another, putting up with one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Sometimes you just got to put up with somebody else. You got to recognize that they're fallen flesh in need of a saving God. And we're not perfect yet. But if we're walking in the Spirit, God's going to help us. And so we've got to show mercy. We've got to be gracious to one another. Number seven. I told you this is not an exhaustive list. <laughs> but here it is. Resolve to not give up. Resolve to not give up. The enemy wants you to give up so badly. He's like a kid in a candy store. He just can't wait. He wants you to give up. He wants you to throw in the towel. He wants you to wave the white flag. But whatever you do, do not give up. Resolve to never give up. When you lay your head on your pillow tonight, I hope you say, I will not give up. Tomorrow's gonna be a new day, Lord willing, and I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna fight again, I'm gonna push again, I'm gonna move forward again. I will not give up. I will not give up. 2 Chronicles 15, this is a prophecy given to Asaph, the king. He said, but as for you, be strong. Don't get discouraged, for your work will be rewarded. I'm here to preach to every person here today and tell you, be strong. Don't get discouraged, for your work will be rewarded. Paul says in Galatians 6 and 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You will reap if you don't give up. I said you'll reap if you don't give up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Know ye not that they which run a race run all. But one receiveth the prize, so run. Everybody say, so run. That you may obtain. I think some people run marathons just so they can take pictures and post on their Instagram and make everybody think they're so healthy. <laughs> At least that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> In my after Christmas shape here. But Paul says, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That word temperate means self-controlled. He's self-controlled in all things. Know they, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. They do it to receive the medal at the end of the marathon with the arch of balloons and all the people cheering. They do it for the corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. I, therefore, listen to what Paul says, I, therefore, so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not shadow boxing, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. I learn to control my lustful thoughts and feelings and emotions. I learn to control my anger. I, I put my jealousy under subjection. My fear, my doubts, I keep it under my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The writer of Hebrews says, and I'm almost finished, come to the music. He says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, 
and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Everybody say, with patience. That word speaks of endurance. It speaks of continuing on. Even when you get tired. Even when you feel like giving up. Even when you fall and get back up. You just got to keep running. You got to keep running. You can't stop. You've got to keep going. You've got to run the race with patience that's set before us. Looking. Here's how you do it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. There's a lot of fainting in our own minds going on. It's happening in the church. It's happening in our world. Feelings of hopelessness. Feelings of dejection. Feelings of of aloneness. Fear. A lot of fainting in our minds. I'm here to tell you, if you want everyday victory, you just got to run the race that's set before you. You got to patiently endure. You got to keep moving forward. You see, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I said it's a marathon, not a sprint. I want to close with this today. The singers can come. I'm almost finished. I was reading an article in the Harvard Business Review. The title of it is The Power of Small Winds. The Power of Small Winds. These two researchers, they, they found some principles. They did some um, analysis. And they interviewed and collected data from, I think it was like 12,000 people work at a in a high-level creative environment. And they found a principle in their research, and it's called the progress principle. The progress principle is this. Of all the things that can boost emotions, motivation, and perceptions during a workday, the single most important is making progress in meaningful They found that people who replied that they had a good day were people that made progress. It wasn't necessarily breakthrough discoveries. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, that they, you know, came up with this innovative idea that revolutionized some facet of life. But it was just the small wins. It was the small steps of progress and it contributed so greatly to the workers feelings motivation how they perceived themselves and their work in fact they talked about a concept called inner work life and this inner work life was what was going on inside of these people and what was happening in, internally. And they, they, they found that, that for them to make progress, for them to go forward, that inner work life, the internals had to be right. And, the, and things inside, emotions, their motivations, their perceptions had to be balanced, had to be right. And they had to have this this intrinsic interest in their work and they had to positively view their their organization, their management, their team, their work themselves. All of these things uh, comprise this inner work life. And when that was in order and when it was right and it was positive, those people were able to have their best day, they called it. And they found that 
most common event triggering a best day was any progress in the work by the individual or the team. I realized today, and I said it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a daily journey. It's taking one step after another. It's daily progress. And let me tell you today, you're not, you're not going to get maybe where someone has reached that's been walking with God for 20 years. You're not going to get there in a day. You're not going to find that spiritual maturity that maybe you desire or you want. You're not going to find that uh, biblical literacy that you desire. You're not going to find that in a day, week, a month. Not even years. It takes time. It's a daily walk. A daily progression. Daily moving in the right direction. It's everyday victory. So I just want to tell you today, we're going to celebrate. This year, we're going to celebrate small wins. We're going to celebrate the big things that God does, but we're also, we're going to celebrate the person that stays off of cigarettes one more day. We're going to celebrate the person that says, you know what? I come from a broken situation. I come from abusive background. But I went another day living for God. Positive mindset. Thinking on the right things. We're going to celebrate people that just make progress. When they go to bed, they know I'm further along than when I started. I want us to stand here today. I have more about this study, but I'm not going to go long on this, but I just want to share this. Even ordinary incremental progress can increase people's engagement in the work and their happiness during the work day. So what is, how does that translate? How does it correlate with, with walking with God? Well, when you make that small progress, those small wins, you know what it does? It gives you the confidence and the faith to believe, I can do it another day. I can move forward. I can lay down those old habits and addictions. I can move past the fear and I can move past the worry and I can move past the uncertainty. When you have those small progress steps, what do they do? They translate into everyday victory. Everyday victory. It may not be much. To someone else, it may seem, well, man, they didn't get very far today. They didn't make much progress today. Oh, yeah, but a little bit of progress still constitutes a victory. So today, I want to challenge this congregation. I've given you seven things in my manual for everyday victory. These, the Holy Ghost gave me these. I was in the church praying, wrote every one of them down while praying. I'm here today to give them to you and tell you, you can have victory every day. You don't have to settle for defeat. You don't have to settle for setbacks. Oh yeah, there's going to be setbacks. Yes, they're going to come. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to fall. But I told you, get back up. Push through, work through it, and you will see God give you victory every single day. Come on, let's clap our hands to Him today. Come on, let's give Him the praise that He deserves today. Hey, it's God working with us. It's God working with us. It's God working with us. You know what I want us to do right now? I want us to take a step out of our seats. I want you to flood this altar. Come as close as you can. Balcony, come down to that 
that front row there or come down to the floor or whatever you can do. Leslie, come on. Let's take a few steps and say, God, I am going to have everyday victory. I am going to have everyday victory. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Come on, look at your neighbor. Come on, tell him victory is yours. Every single day, every day, victory. Come on, I want to sing the old song, victory is mine. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, flood this altar. Come on, come on, we're going to believe it. We're going to receive it. Come on, balcony. Come on, mezzanine. I know we've got one to be baptized today. Maybe there's somebody else today you want to be baptized. I'm going to tell you, this is the, this is the place to start. If you want everyday victory, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You've got to repent of your sins. And it's a beautiful thing. Come on, church. God wants you to have victory every day. Everyday victory. This is what I thought when God gave me this title. I thought about it like this. Victory becomes ordinary. Now I can see where that could be a problem, but, and, and you just kind of nonchalant and casual, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is victory is such a part of your life that it becomes an everyday thing. It becomes ordinary. That's where we're getting to. If you're not there yet, God wants you to get there. Come on, it's not God's will for you to live in defeat. It's not God's will for you to vacillate between victory and defeat. It's God's will for you to have everyday victory. Everyday victory. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your voice. Come on, let's praise Him. Let's worship Him. Come on, let's make it our let's make it our plea today. Victory is mine. Victory today.
Come on, clap your hands. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It is God's will for you to have victory every day. It's his will. It's his plan. Don't settle for less than victory every day. If you fall, get up. If you mess up, clean up.